0: Hi, Bloom Squad! Hey, it's your girls. It's your girls. <laughs> We're back, and, and we got a really, really juicy, as always. Dare we say juicy? Dare we say juicy? <laughs> um, fiery episode. Welcome to the Full Bloom Podcast, where
1: we talk about whatever the fuck we want, and, and you're, you're invited.
0: invited.
1: <laughs> In it's Leo season. It's actually the Aquarius full moon starting today. Oh, yeah. Um... And I went to a naked hot spring on the beach this morning. (laughs) Naturally. Celebrate. And there was literally like the most amount of naked humans I've ever seen squashed into a tiny pool of hot water in my life. Tell me how it was like it was a lot of shriveled up peen.
0: (laughs) But you also said it was felt like you were in a can of sardines. I
1: loved that. Yeah, literally, we were all just sardining naked in the, like, hot, salty water. <laughs> Hell, yeah. It was honestly great. Um, Yeah. Mm. And how you feeling this full moon? Aquarius mm. queen?
0: Yeah, man. I know. I'm trying to really, tonight, I'm like, okay, I'm going in on this full moon. I have to, like, Aquarius full moon, but also just, like, moving through stuff i am randomly back home in calgary staying with my parents my sister is here we haven't spent much time together over the past two years so really trying to be like connection um and yeah just kind of had to like dramatically remove myself from vancouver for a moment and just come home to reset that's Mm -hmm. that's the vibe um so yeah i'm really looking forward to using this full moon to reset and get really clear on like what is going on and what's to come um yeah
1: Mm. what about you yeah the full moon's such a good time to reset do your full moon forgiveness like yes all of the practices um yeah, I'm excited to see what comes of this full moon for you. Mm-hmm. I honestly hear the past couple days we've had fully clear skies at night, which has been really nice because the first couple of weeks I was here in California, it was really foggy at night. So the moon the past couple of days has just been lighting up the night sky. Like I don't mm-hmm. even need a headlamp on my bike ride home. <laughs> I usually do. I'm a headlamp queen because um, there's no street lights out here. But yeah, the full moon has just been really present. And I think it's been showing up for me as Aquarius does um, in the sense that it's been bringing about a sense of like lightness and like fun and play and silliness and just like, I don't know, I feel like I've, come back into myself after a couple weeks of, like, I don't know, it felt like I was, like, wading through murky water and moving really slowly Mm. and just, like, feeling weird about that because it's Leo season and I'm just, like, very, like, why why am I not on fire right now? But, Mm. yeah, this full moon, I feel like, has brought about a sense of reminding me to play and enjoy myself and literally remind reminded me of like my own power as cheesy as that sounds there was a moment where I was like oh like what am I even doing who am I like energy and now I'm just like god wait like I don't I have everything I need I'm good Mm. yeah I love the Aquarius full moon in Leo because it just feels so. I don't know. I just feel so connected to those two signs. Sister signs, ma'am. Yeah, exactly. And they're my sign and your sign, just mm-hmm. like coming together in such a beautiful way, in the beautiful way that we complement each other. <laughs> the yin and the yang, baby. Yin and the yang. But on another note, we have a really exciting interview for y'all today. We
0: chatted with our dear friend Hannah. Um, We met Hannah in university. She is a sister of ours and now she is a therapist and running a very successful writing page on Instagram where she's having a lot of influence on folks and it's just really cool to see her blooming in this way that's
1: really quite potent. We know that you're gonna love her just as much as we do. And here's our interview. Enjoy. Okay, so welcome, welcome, everyone. We are here with a very special guest on a brand new episode with a brand new conversation for you. Um, so we'll have her introduce herself in a moment, but right now let's do our cycle check-in. So Emma, where are you at in your cycle? Hi,
2: I am on day four, so I am finishing up my bleed and feeling slow and sleepy Mm -hmm that's that's kind of the whole story behind it. I had like a very chill relaxed bleed even though it's been insanely hot here. Today is finally cooling down, but it's been like 30 with humidity and just kind of nuts those. So I've Nut-o. just been taking it very easy, yeah, nuts those. <laughs> 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 um yeah, that's me. What about you guys?
1: I'm on day. Honestly, I don't even actually know. I think I'm not, I must be on like day 30 or day 31. Um so yeah, just kind of like anticipating the bleed and also yeah, just kind of like sleepy and slow. I set my alarm this morning and then snoozed it like six times. And <laughs> It's been pretty cold here. I'm in Northern California and everywhere in Canada is having heat waves and I'm down in California freezing somehow. So that's that. Um, But yeah, just like moving slowly, feeling kind of heavy. I've been where I'm living. I have to like bike into town, which to get there is like 15 minutes to get back is like 40 because it's all uphill. And oh last gosh. night, last night I was really feeling the like slowness in my body and I just got off and walked some of the hills because I was like, I'm not pushing myself. Yeah. I just need. So, yeah, that's kind of been where I've been at. Just like,
2: can you tell the people why you're in California? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am. Um, I'm living on a garden slash farm land space, um, working like with the land on the garden, and living here in a little cob house for the month of August.
0: Is it a cob house? I didn't it know that. House. <laughs> yeah,
2: the the oh.
1: farmhouse isn't, but my little like room sanctuary is, which is so cute. God. And yeah, just living in. This little town called Bellinas, where I came, like happened upon while I was living in the van and I spent some time here and I just like needed to come back. So, yeah, I was really fortunate to be able to come back and experience living on this land for the month and learning about gardening and sustainable water. I don't know, systems, access, all of that stuff. Mm. So yeah, that's that's where I'm at this moment. Gorgeous. Burning some herbs from the garden and sitting here trying to bleed. Mm. <laughs> what about awesome. you? So nice. Um so I actually
3: haven't been like really actively tracking my cycle because I used to do so through an app and then my phone just kind of like deteriorated to the point where it like wouldn't allow me to access any of my apps. So I was like, whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, um, I, I also recently went off the birth control pill. Um, so I have been like, kind of, I guess, re-experiencing my body and my period without the birth control pill. And I finished my period, I want to say maybe like two days ago. So I'm kind of in a similar spot, I think, that Emma is. And I am very caffeinated right now. (laughs) while we were doing the breathing exercise before we started I was literally like my body is like full of tingles and butterflies like I am just so freaking caffeinated
2: um (laughs) okay good
3: good but I'm so excited to talk and like a little bit nervous just because I always feel a little bit of nervousness whenever I'm like being recorded and there's lots of reasons for that that we can definitely explore because I've thought about them a lot but I'm so excited to talk with you both and also to just be listened to by like the full bloom squad that's so sweet
2: (laughs) you hear that (laughs) y'all so cute yeah and do you want to introduce yourself does that feel like something that Yeah.
3: Yeah, I can try to. I always struggle as well with kind of introducing myself. But um my name's Hannah. Right now I'm sitting in my office in my beautiful little house in a city which I will not disclose, but somewhere in (laughs) somewhere in Ontario. Um I am a therapist, a writer. Um, I recently finished graduate school. Um, I have an undergrad degree in women's studies. I love <laughs> my friends, food, outdoor mm-hmm. dinner parties, babies, candles, art. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure how to really talk about myself, but hopefully I'll be able to share more about like my interests just organically through the conversation. Definitely. what?
1: what- um type of therapist are you like what is your practice right in this moment
3: yeah i um so i'm i'm trained in narrative therapy and also emotionally focused therapy so i think a lot about stories and the meaning that we make about our lives through stories Um, And I actually I recently finished an emotionally focused therapy externship and that modality is based on attachment theory, which I think a lot of us know a little bit about through social media and, you know, words like anxious attachment and avoidant. But there's really so much more to attachment theory and then the modality of therapy that was developed based on attachment theory than what we read on the Internet or at least on, on Instagram or on social media. So those are the primary things that I use, but I would definitely say that I'm very intuitive um, when I'm working with people and I don't rely on a specific framework just because I find like all of my clients and what they need is so different. And often the practice is really getting into attunement with that person and listening deeply and and seeing what comes up together and trusting myself.
1: Mm.
2: Mm. Yeah, and I just, like, if I could kind of partially introduce you, Han, as Mm. well to add to that, um, I mean, it makes so much sense that you've stepped into therapy because you've been a guiding voice for so many of your friends Mm. growing up. And, like, Hannah is one of the people in my life that I would I know I can go to for sound, honest, and loving advice. Like, even if it's a hard truth, it still manages to come across in a loving, accepting way. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's so much, there's so much we could get into, but I think what first kind of comes up when you're just talking about working with the way you work with your clients I feel like the way you work with your clients is like they are your friends like they are Mm. your sisters your brothers (laughs) and you're approaching them in this way that is really loving and very individual and yeah yeah it's I feel like that has kind of I mean maybe you can speak more to this but I feel like that has kind of come from a place of really having like strong friendships where truth and love is at the forefront of those
3: yeah no that's definitely really accurate and that's so sweet of you to say Emma and I'm so (laughs) I'm so glad that you know I come across and am received in that way I was actually Mm -hmm. saying to Ryan yesterday that I feel like sometimes I can be really judgmental and that the judgment that I project on others is definitely like an indicator surrounding parts of myself that I'm highly critical of and judgmental of. And sometimes like as a therapist, I really try to, you know, withhold that and be aware of it. And, you know, even if I can't dissolve it in the moment, which I typically can't just making sure that I have some consciousness around it. And I definitely try to bring that energy into all of my relationships and, you know, even, though I definitely, you know, can be judgmental and can be critical and can, can, can be all of these things that we don't want to be. I've absolutely, you know, make an effort to approach people with loving kindness. And um, I don't know, I, I guess to just be, um, I don't know if I really have the language right now, but mm-hmm, I suppose just, okay. to just be compassionate. Yeah. And I, I really love the the just like me practice, I don't know if either of you have ever heard of, of that, but basically when, when someone is expressing something that is rubbing up against you in a difficult way, like maybe they're an asshole to their mom or something, you just say just like me. So in that circumstance, you would say, you know, sometimes they get really angry at the people they love, just like me. And it's kind of just a way of sort of, I think, bringing you into connection with the more difficult parts of, you know, the people that we interact with. So I, I do that a lot with my clients and and with my friends when I'm struggling to be the person that I want to be with them.
1: I love that. And you also just, um, something you said just reminded me of, there's a book written by Kate Murphy called You're Not Listening. I don't know if either of you have read it, but mm-hmm. it's, it's all about the practice of active listening. And when you were talking about how it's so much easier to um, project criticism or judgment or to use rhetoric to validate our own identities in her yeah. book, she talks about how, we in our life like through school and through our relationships and from our parents and in the workplace we are taught so many times to be able to speak and use our voice and use rhetoric and all these different tools to critique things and Mm -hmm. look at things through specific lenses and then give our perspective but rarely are we ever taught how to listen in an active way yeah. Um and so yeah, like when you were talking about being able to listen deeply to your clients, it just reminded me of how important that practice itself is, like to be able to show up not from a place of inserting your own narrative, your own perspectives, your own experience, but rather to literally just absorb and listen and from there you can work together.
3: Yes, I, I love that so much. I was saying to Ryan that like, I learned so much about therapy while being a therapist, and while do, continuing to do my own training and my own work. And I was saying that therapy kind of reminds me of, like, if you had a mirror, and you looked into it, and it was really blurry at the beginning. And then every time you look into it, it starts to get a little bit clearer. And I feel like that's like a significant part of my role as a therapist is just reflecting, just being that mirror for people. And oftentimes I find that people actually don't need answers. They don't need advice. They just need understanding. Um, and that's something that I actively you know, kind of reorient myself towards when I'm working towards people is that like, I don't need to fix and they're not here to be fixed and there's nothing broken about this. And this is a part of their path. Um, And my role is to really um, reflect and express understanding so that we can continue to get a a clear image of the situation in the mirror, if that makes sense.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Uh, in order to be that mirror, it requires like you to be able to see that person and often our perception of people is so clouded by our own like you said judgments and fears within ourselves so like in order to show up and be that mirror for someone else you have to kind of get clear on your own like be able to see yourself clearly in the mirror too mm-hmm. or maybe mm-hmm. maybe your clients act as mirrors to you in a lot of ways as well which I oh think yeah it's a It's a constant learning and unlearning being in that role.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's really difficult, to be honest, Um, sometimes. And I also feel like we do put therapists on, like, kind of a pedestal in, like, at this particular cultural moment. And that's something that I really struggle with is, like, and I, I try to be really direct with that with my clients, like in my consult calls, I literally say like, I I can't fix it for you. And, you know, I don't have all of the answers, but I can tell you that your feelings aren't going to scare me. I'm not going to run away, you know, from this and we Mm -hmm. can look at it together and then I'll explain my approach and give them an opportunity to ask questions and things like that. But, um, yeah, I think sometimes people go to therapy because they want to be fixed and, um, I, I can't do that. <laughs> and, um, at the same time, like that, that's a pressure that I often feel that I try to release over and over again within the knowing that even though we often, you know, might think that we want to be fixed or, you know, might think that we want the answers often connection is the solution. Understanding is the solution, creating that reparative bond, in the therapy setting between the client and the therapist that is the solution but it's an unlearning absolutely it's an unlearning mm. god
2: yeah and you know it really does as taylor was touching on require a pretty strong relationship with the self because mm-hmm. you, you know even in my own work as well like if if there's a situation where I get the sense that someone is kind of looking to be like in my case, someone's kind of looking for you to come in and like save them or like fix the situation. And, yeah. and you know, similar thing. Like I don't, I don't do that. I can't do that. They can only yeah. really do that for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I get, sometimes if I get the sense that that's the expectation, I can, experience a bit of um like oh I'm not uh I'm not good enough or Mm. not doing a good enough job and it's hard to come back home to yourself yeah um you know you need to have a really strong sense of like who you are and what you're doing like how do you continue because I know that that's it's such a continuation how do you continue to Develop that and, and nurture that sense of self?
3: Um, I think there's a lot of like being okay with not having all of the answers and having this kind of reverence for the mystery of human life and relationships and letting things, you know, unfold. And also, trust, as you know, Emma, has been such an important part of my path and it's been kind of like my prayer for myself is to just trust i feel like mm. that's the solution to me for for so many things is either trust or patience when i have a problem i ask if either of those two things can help and 99 percent of the time they can um mm-hmm. yeah only and... the speed of
1: trust what's only that taylor only the speed of only trust. the speed of trust
3: i've never heard that before
1: my favorite thing right now oh my gosh where's that from um the Instagram account gender sauce oh yes yes I love that account so much but yeah it was just one of their like little snippets and I've literally like I should tattoo it on my forehead I love it
3: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah trust has been so important to me and I think that's because I had such a fractured relationship to it for a period of time um, and I think like rebuilding that is really important for my work as a therapist, because I do think that clients can can feel that. And, um, you know, I want to be like a stabilizing, rooted, grounded force for them. At the same time, I'm not always that person, you know? And that's kind of one of the challenging things about this line of work is that, like I still have to work on my bad days. <laughs>
2: And that's something,
3: you know, that, of course, I understood that, like, intellectually, if someone had told me it, but it is a totally different thing to be like struggling with your own stuff. And then to have, you know, a client who you have to work with, who might even be struggling with the same thing. And you're really just like, yeah, I also fucking don't know what to do about that. (laughs) you know. (laughs) But again, it's like, you have to try your best to be this mirror and to find some stillness inside and. You know, to I be that. Look at it together. Person. Yeah. 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 And I, I remind myself that it is the that sort of full spectrum experience of emotions and of being a person that in some ways helps me to be a good therapist. <laughs> and that I don't want to shut myself off from those experiences. And I can show up as I am. But it like it is this balance and this tension that I like I still haven't figured out yet.
1: I'm getting from a lot of this is that your experience of working as a therapist comes in a very collaborative system of approach like it's very it's not like you being the therapist there to do your job and that person coming with nothing and just receiving all of your like education and knowledge it's a collaborative experience for both of you.
3: Yes, yes, definitely. I, I read this thing once that was like if advice worked, we would all be fixed or something like that. Sure. It's like, whoa, that's like so true. Like there's such a difference <laughs> between like receiving advice and like integrating knowledge and really like developing like your own truth through like reflection and conversation and all of the other kinds of, um you know, integration that that can happen.
1: So Han, what does blooming mean to you? Like
0: blooming.
1: the full bloom. Like what does that feel like or look like when you look at it in relation to you, your mm-hmm. work, your experience in your body and life? What's your bloom? I don't
3: know why? But one of the words that's coming up for me is embodied. Mm. Um I I feel like this chapter of my life and when I say chapter I mean like probably the next three months I feel like I'm constantly just like going through these different kind of like micro evolutions Mm -hmm. but I really want to be a more embodied person and I feel like I'm often kind of like I'm you know I'm in touch with my body but I, I don't always take time to just be in her and to like even like explore like pleasure um and to just really get to know her so I think blooming for me at this moment feels like I don't know like developing more of like an embodiment practice and like really doing that really have having a little bit of discipline about showing up for that um I also just think honesty um is related to blooming or blossoming or coming into myself uh something that I write a lot about on my account is for a really long time I felt like my conversations with people were kind of unfolding like these scripts where I could almost like anticipate what they were going to say and I felt like I was kind of saying the same thing that a lot of other people were saying and it made life just feel like this like tv show on repeat and it was like void of spontaneity and creativity and all of these things that like really make me feel excited and make me feel come come alive and um I think a big part of that was not being honest like not really being honest with what I thought not trusting myself and instead relying on other people's opinions and perspectives and then just reproducing those like being like oh that's the right one and then latching onto it and kind of like you know, maybe maybe making, like, minor changes, but pretty much the same thing. And um, I'm just loving being fucking honest.
2: Mm, I'm and apologetic.
3: Loving, yeah, I'm just, like, <laughs> loving, like, sharing what I think is true at any given moment. And, like, also being very open to that shifting and changing, but, like, not immediately just agreeing with people and, like, allowing yeah. myself to kind of, like, develop my own my own sense of the world.
2: Okay, and two words that are coming up for me right now are bravery and humility. And I guess Mm -hmm. it takes bravery to be humble because, you know, we're kind of conditioned for so long to be like, find your truths, write them in stone and like commit to your values, like integrity, Mm -hmm. but... I think as we kind of unravel from this commitment to being such a certain way and having such strong senses of identity, we notice that integrity maybe is this free flowing, you know, allowing yourself to change, giving other people the capacity to change and being brave enough to change, being brave enough to say a truth that, you know, maybe five minutes later you're like, okay uh now I think differently and I don't know it's such a such a fucking like I'm literally I wish you could see me right now I'm like swimming with my (laughs) hands doing the best stroke because I'm like (laughs) it's it's such a continual journey yes but you have to be brave and Hannah I think (sighs) you're super brave in Mm. sharing I mean everything that you're sharing in your online work internet work what do we call this
3: (laughs) it's honestly so embarrassing i'm like yeah like my digital diary that i just (laughs) post for like tens of thousands of people yeah my blog my ig blog
1: let's talk about that like how did you how did you decide to start putting your voice out there in the way that you're doing it because i know at first you started with an anonymous situation account Mm -hmm. diary internet blog yeah and now you've kind of gravitated more towards like standing in your beliefs like with your face and name attached to it so like Mm -hmm. how did you decide to start and then what created that shift from like anonymity to (laughs) where you're at now
3: yeah I mean I I never like really wanted it to be anonymous um there's a lot of freedom in things being anonymous which at the same time can be dangerous because you don't want to get so comfortable that you're like saying things that you can't stand by or like you're being careless with the way that you interact with people like people can hide behind anonymous anonymity in like I think dangerous ways for me it was really about like safety I just felt like the community that I was kind of trying to extricate is that a word myself from was like incredibly hostile and like I genuinely would have been concerned for my safety and my livelihood just for kind of pushing back against the discourse so that's what it was and that's kind of what it always has been I mean there's just so many examples of people having like you know, like their address shared and like being like doxxed in different kinds of ways. And I knew that by speaking out, I was making myself vulnerable to that. And that I didn't really have the resources that maybe some like bigger accounts would have to like keep themselves safe in different kinds of ways or like uphold like more personal aspects of their privacy. Mm -hmm. And then I think um, that is still something that I worry about, but... At the same time, it's dissolved the more and more that I write and share and hear this like resonant echo of yes, 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 we need this, we want this, we're thinking this, these are unarticulated thoughts, I get so many messages that are just like, like you are literally writing from my brain like people basically that are you know just expressing that like this is what I've been thinking about for the last like two years or five years and like I just Mm -hmm. haven't known how to say it and you're saying it and it's so cathartic to read or or, you know people sending me messages that like they feel tearful over what they're reading because they just haven't heard anyone express it um and I think honestly Mm -hmm. maybe receiving that kind of validation and like connection and like community almost has made me feel like more brave and more safe and more comfortable. Because at the beginning, I felt really alone in what I was saying. Like I was like, okay, everyone disagrees with me, but I just need to express this because it is increasingly feeling true. And I cannot continue to sort of reproduce this discourse that I don't think is having a positive effect on our relationships, on our families, on our communities, on activism, on healing, on anything. And Mm -hmm. I just felt this voice, you know, in my throat that, like, wouldn't go away. Um, And yeah, like, I I think as I continue to write, like, I, I feel that Um, I feel more comfortable, um, putting my, my name on my work and I feel really proud of my work. Um, at the same time, there's still like, you know, anxieties. People get like very, very triggered by things that I write. People call it, you know, provocative, which I think is like kind of funny because I'm mostly writing about like compassion and kindness and (laughs) almost like ancient, like ancient spiritual teachings that have existed for like, you know, millennia. But, um, you know, because of the current sort of climate around social justice, like people are incredibly triggered by it. So,
1: yeah, you're reminding me of um, in the intro or preface to M. Scott Peck's 1978 book, uh, The Road Less Traveled, Mm -hmm. he talks about how when he started writing about in his time he was kind of the same as what you're saying like he started to just like put these things that we all think about but no one talks about into writing and into a book and he talks about how um because everyone thought his book was so groundbreaking and he was like I'm literally just writing about the human experience it's not new it's not I'm not like gifted for being able to say these things I'm just being truthful and putting truth out there but he writes about how, when he was a kid, his like friend's parents would call him the kid that talks about the things that shouldn't be talked about, mm. and that just kind of yeah. you, what you were saying kind of reminded me of that, like it's these things, like you were saying about how, like when you first started writing, you were basically I remember reading your stuff, and you still kind of do this. But I remember you basically confronting what it looked like to me. You were confronting cancel culture and being like, Mm -hmm. this is toxic for like all of these reasons. And like, kind of like working within this really concentrated space of the far left and noticing its toxicity and unpacking it. And people get really triggered by that, mostly based out of fear I find that in our very like this polarized social and political climate like you mentioned we get really triggered by folks that have differing viewpoints because I think part of it and this might this might be like controversial to say but I think part of it is honestly people building this fragile identity based off of what values they are going to align with in order to like formulate an image for themselves socially Mm. and especially with social media like the way that things circulate on social media people share certain things in order to align with certain belief systems and values and politics so then when that gets called into question they almost feel like their identity is getting attacked and instead of Sitting and having the conversation with opposing beliefs, which I believe is always a learning experience. Even if you're talking to someone you don't agree with at all, there's going to be something in there that you can pull from and learn from. But people like hear one trigger word or one thing that like they don't agree with uh, that doesn't sit well with them. And instead of noticing in their body where that trigger comes from, they just immediately shut down and they're like, I can't talk to you. I don't want to listen to you. You have nothing valuable to say. So I remember like at the beginning when you were like, actually, wait, this is really problematic and creating a further divide. I was like, fucking yes, go off. Cancel culture's toxic.
3: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, you know, I think I was that person that you're describing for a really long time that was like, always on. Yeah, like, always on high alert, you know, like, had, like, my, I don't know, I have, like, the image of, like, a motion sensor light in my head, like, just, Mm. like, if ever I noticed any kind of movement in the direction of anything that I, even, like, inadvertently through the most, like, bizarre web associated with, like, conservative, conservatism, I would just, like, it would set, like, an alarm off in me, and I would be, you know, ready to explain to this person like all of the reasons why they were wrong and why I was right. And again, like I was saying, like these conversations would almost like unfold like scripts. Like I had all of the arguments kind of like pre-written and pre-planned, and there was and absolutely. Even their-
2: oh, go go on, ahead. Go on. Anne. I was just gonna say, even their responses to I, from my experience if they didn't respond in a way that I had already like predetermined as the right way to respond, it would be wrong. So there was like a script from me being like, here's yeah. what I'm gonna tell you. And if yeah. you don't say the right thing back, then you're still wrong. Like there's there was yeah. no capacity for anything other than this script I learned in university.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think, you know, at the same time, there were these kind of sort of paradoxical ideas that like were part of the discourse. I'm trying to think of one, like, okay. So like the most like common one that I can think of as an example for listeners is silence is violence. So silence is violence is like some, like it's like a slogan that is like thrown around all the time in woke world, social justice land. (laughs) But then at the same time, like, you can also be chastised for, like, speaking up about, like, literally anything, um, and, like, be told that, like, it's not your, your space, and, like, your voice doesn't matter, and that, like, you don't even have a right to have an opinion on the issue for, like, a variety of what I think of as, like, usually, like, identitarianism type reasons, sort of essentialist reasons, and I think I started to gradually sort of, like, notice these tensions where, like, it was almost as though no one could do anything right around me because there was like a rule and a counter rule for a literally everything. And it started to impact my relationships in like really profound ways where I found myself just feeling so critical and so judgmental of people and having like, I, I, I've i heard someone else describe it. Um, my friend Kira describe it as having like four cops and three lawyers in your head at all times with all of these different narratives happening and you can't even be with people because you are just ripping them to shreds inside over like the most Mm -hmm. like even non-political like objectively non-political things And of course, like, in response to that, the, like, social justice, toxic social justice crowd would say nothing is political, you know? Like, it's, like, there's, like, literally, it's, like, a fucking script. And it's so boring. And there's, like, nothing new or interesting or transformative in it. And I think I just, at the same time, it, like, it absolutely wore on me. I felt like I just didn't see, like, the good in people anymore.
1: Yeah, I, uh... I think, too, in a way, having those conversations where someone might give you, like you said, Emma, like give you a response that you hadn't anticipated. I think that sometimes it makes us shut down and get defensive and like maybe elicit emotional responses. Like maybe we get angry and then we're just like, I can't talk to you and shut the conversation down because it actually makes us confront the limitations of our own knowledge and our own experience and our own beliefs. Like when you go through leftist circles, whether it be university or like your social circle or whatever it is, you're so used to everyone being on the same wavelength and like having similar experiences or similar viewpoints that are learned through academia, which is a whole level of privilege in itself to even be able to access that thinking. And then when you talk to someone that has a totally different set of experiences, a totally different viewpoint based on those experiences, and they give you a different perspective that you hadn't anticipated or hadn't developed rhetoric to respond to yet. It makes you like you just get angry out of defensiveness because it puts on the table your own limitations to what you do know and understand being within such a tight knit leftist kind of, very linear-minded circle realm community. I don't know, but yeah, I'm just thinking of like all of the times that I've been triggered by what people have said and like
2: just yeah. gotten angry
1: and been like, "Well, you haven't read Bell Hooks, so you don't understand." When realistically, mm-hmm. like, there are so many different forms of knowledge and wisdom, and academic thought is only one. Yeah it's just making me think right now just literally about like monotheism and how Mm -hmm. the left the left is all about dismantling Mm -hmm. monotheistic thinking and religion and all of the stuff that comes with that there's just like always seems to have to be this like right and wrong instead of looking at conversations and social issues from a both and standpoint like Yes, Mm -hmm. I'm right, but you can also be right. And we can like meet in the middle and learn from one another.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think even just like
3: letting go of orienting the conversation around right or wrong Mm -hmm. has become so important for me, especially when I started to notice the sort of distinct parallels between the fundamentalist political leftist community that I found myself in and fundamentalist religions which also rely on these sort of like rigid rules and expectations surrounding right and wrong and become very dogmatic and moralizing um yeah like just thinking like is there a way that I can engage with people beyond right and wrong something that came up for me while you were talking Taylor was that um I I don't know if you guys have ever heard about like monocropping or like monocrop agriculture where you're just growing the same thing in a field over and over again, and it can ruin the soil, um, Mm -hmm. to the point where like you can't grow things that are, are nutrient dense because it's, it's been so void of like an actual ecosystem for so long. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that's a pretty direct (laughs) analogy or it just, it reflects what I experienced happened in this environment where there was no ideological diversity. Like it, it just, it became void of nutrients like void of all of the things that like create a healthy community and create, you know, authentic, care and connection i just i think diversity is so important and that um like it can't just be reduced to any one thing and it has to include people who think differently from us it's so important to develop a tolerance to be able to be in discomfort as well and i think that's kind of something that that happened just like the level that you would feel triggered and have like this like embodied response to someone who kind of like goes off script I think a big part of that is like your just dis- your just dis- your tolerance for discomfort goes way down when you are constantly in an environment with people who agree with you. You d- you lose yeah. the skills like to be able to navigate difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally,
1: I really feel all of this. I've been thinking a lot about this stuff recently, just about like different types of learning and the different things that we can learn from different conversations. And like you said, this tolerance of discomfort, I think it also correlates to the patients you were talking about earlier. Like I'm thinking right now of like my work, working with folks that use substances or even working with um, elders or even children, people that maybe, take longer to articulate their thoughts or even folks that um, like English isn't their first language, right? Mm -hmm. All of these different ways that communication can be um, challenged. And a lot of the time we're used to this like snappy, quick back and forth dialogue. Mm -hmm. But I notice a lot of people, especially English speaking folks, that are like younger and in academic circles or wherever they are getting really impatient with people that can't articulate their thoughts fast enough. And of course yeah. this comes back to like our general attention spans right now from social media and they're just the way we live our lives, but there's so much nuance that can come from just finding patience to sit there and shut up and let the oh, person yeah. get there on their own which mm-hmm. I think probably comes back a lot to your practice as a therapist like literally instead of needing to fill silence letting silence be filled
2: and mm-hmm. being
1: a witness to that and allowing the learning to come from that yeah I
3: I love that so much um it's so beautiful thanks for sharing that Taylor I feel like Slowness is something that feels increasingly important to me and increasingly more difficult to access. Um, I was watching a, a clip of the movie Land Before Time. Do you guys remember that movie? Yes, you kidding? Yeah, yeah. So I was watching a clip of that movie on YouTube and I was struck by the pace of it. I was like, this is just oh. so much slower. And, you know, as a kid, like, you don't, like, that was just the the time that we were in, and now it's, like, when you watch a kid's TV show, it's, like, so chaotic, and, like, there's so much stimulation, and there's so much happening, Mm. and so much dialogue, and, like, there was just, like, I swear there was, like, a two-minute long scene of just, like, the little dinosaur following the big dinosaur, and they're just walking, (laughs) and there's, like, occasional, you know, an occasional word here and there, but that's basically it, and I, I was just, like, I, like, feel like I need this, like, I feel like my brain, literally needs to be, like, exposed to content that is not so fucking fast. (laughs)
2: Mm. It reminds me of the crop um, metaphor that you were just mentioning a couple of minutes ago, and how I've heard that before, and that, you know, we, we keep using the same soil and the same plant over and over again, and it becomes super nutrient depleted, um, and one of the only ways to essentially fix that is by giving the land a break, giving the mm-hmm. soil a break. Yeah. And I remember when we were both sort of post-graduation, starting to fully uncoil from everything that was university and, um, you know, having conversations around just wanting to have a break from that culture. Yes. And just being like, but then feeling really, um, guilty about that because I was like, oh, it's a sign of privilege that I can even like take a step back from these conversations. So being like, I can't, I can't, I have to stay involved. Um,
3: Meanwhile, if you, like, go to, like, a homeless shelter or something, or you spend any time, like, in the communities that people love talking about in the university, they are not having those conversations. (laughs) It's, like, so hilarious.
1: It's, like, honestly so fucking hilarious and, like, delusional, that whole thing. It drives me absolutely insane. I've seen so many folks graduate with, like, an MSW or something and then come to work in, like, a shelter space or like a space in like a vulnerable community and they literally are terrified of even act interacting with the folks that access the space because they don't use the same terminology that this person has taught been taught through academia is supposed yeah. to signal like wokeness but yeah. then they're out there like on social media like posting all this shit advocating for like all these different communities rights and they can't even interact or have a conversation with them because that person doesn't even know the vocabulary or have access to the vocabulary or even fucking care to use the vocabulary that we literally cancel each other if we don't know yeah like so silly because when you get down to the bare bones of it I think it's all it's all fear based right like we're so terrified of feeling inferiority and Mm. feeling like we're not doing enough like we're not a good enough person like we're not going to be accepted so we we cling to virtue signaling without having anything to stand behind it Mm -hmm. in spaces where we don't feel like we're going to be questioned like social media Mm -hmm. like
3: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: there's so much like
3: pseudo bullshit online you know like just like this like (laughs) like like people like like posting stuff on their stories where it's like we have an obligation to like speak up about this and if like you don't share it like you're this and it's like bro we are all reading the exact same thing over and over and over and over again like if you've Mm -hmm. seen like 40 people in your you know quote-unquote community or whatever like post the same thing why would you need to post it Like, why would you need to, like, it's just, like, honestly, like, we get so lost in the ideology that it's, like, we're behaving in ways and, like, saying things that literally don't even make, like, common sense.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, you know, another thing that I was thinking, Taylor, is, like, this whole language, like, this whole vocabulary, like, fucking lexicon, and when I say language, I don't even mean words, I mean, like, it's a different language, that is developed in like social justice spaces like kind of like leftist academia I feel like it creates this like really patronizing culture to anyone who's outside of it that Mm -hmm. is so unhealthy like to just like be viewing people who don't use the same language as you as less like awake to suffering in the world or less progressive or less like politically aware or like in touch with whatever like I honestly it just makes me sick I just hate that I hate the sort of patronizing condescending tone that so much of the language takes on and also Mm -hmm. this idea that like you have any right to correct the language that someone is using to express themselves and that you know better or that you're like you have this responsibility to like educate someone it's like oh my god is this like a indoctrination camp like
1: what the fuck (laughs)
0: It's literally just
1: like white savior (gasps) complex. Like it's literally like, oh, you used the wrong term. Let me like tell you why it's wrong and like make you feel shitty about yourself so that next time you go to voice an opinion, you'll second guess and triple guess yourself and then end up not sharing because you're worried you're going to come across as like a bad person for not knowing the proper terminology. And I just think that that whole side of things too like the way that we communicate just doesn't leave any space for the for learning in different capacities like there's mm-hmm. there's no space or patience for learning when we're expecting everyone to show up with the same tools that we have that yeah. we were privileged enough to get from a university experience that the people we're trying to advocate for most of them ha- know way more about the topics that we're talking about than we do because they've lived it. But if yeah. they don't use the proper terminology, then we disregard their ability to advocate for themselves. Like,
3: mm-hmm. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah. I can go off about this shit for so yeah. It drives me insane. <laughs> I know, it yeah. drives me insane too.
3: It's, it's kind of interesting talking about it because I feel like I'm so not a part of the world, that world anymore. Like, I have just really... Mm taken like an honest effort to like remove myself from it and to kind of like exile myself (laughs) somewhat like I'm just like yeah I don't agree with any of that stuff anymore and if that changes how you see me like that's okay and like I can accept that and if you Mm -hmm. think I'm like a fucking quote-unquote sinner (laughs) that's what it feels like (laughs) like if you think I'm a (laughs) sinner and have some allegiance to I don't know something that's terrible and awful and you don't want to talk to me that's okay but I don't know it's 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 a process even in this conversation to get back in touch with just what it's like to be to be like in the those environments do you guys feel like you're still in those environments
2: um sometimes yeah like I I kind of feel like I'm able to sort of go in and out yeah
3: privileged
2: privileged you get to
3: go in and out Emma how dare you not everyone gets to leave
1: (laughs) oh my god Uh, I mean that is definitely a reality too though right like I I check in with myself a lot of time because I mean for the past couple months I've not been in those spaces but like in my regular life and work I very much am immersed in all of that and the nuances between it, which is, I think, challenging also too. I find it a lot shows up for me in my like moving in and out of the different worlds of like the yoga and wellness Mm -hmm. and sexuality and like, yeah, just like quote unquote the wellness world and then moving into like social work worlds and seeing the giant gaps and then seeing the way one world views the other world and seeing so many icky problems with it that honestly a lot of the time it makes me really not want to be part of like the wellness world the yoga world
3: yeah no absolutely how do you see it taylor in like the yoga and the wellness world
1: well it's just a lot of what i've been talking about it's a lot of virtue signaling it's a lot of like it's, I I always say it's the trauma Olympics. It's like Mm. who people like people that are, you know, like, let's say middle-class, like predominantly white, like descendants of settlers, like living in like nice places. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I don't, I mean, there's nothing wrong with like having a life that you created that is like, serving you and nourishing you and this is not to say that everyone doesn't have trauma because on some level everyone has trauma but it's just interesting to see the way that community like offers resources of like join my four-week program on zoom where we'll like step into empowerment as women you know and then it's like only accessible for a very small tunnel of what trauma actually can look like. Like Mm. they say, like these people are talking about like trauma and services and how to like heal and grow and become embodied and this and that. But like, I've been in so many spaces where I'm listening to these monologues and then I'm thinking about the second that like someone that lives on the street from a different community were to enter that space with their trauma, their trauma wouldn't be able to exist there because the facilitator of whatever it is literally wouldn't know what to do in response to them. Yeah. Like they're only able to serve like a very small definition of what trauma can actually look like and then the second someone shows up with an experience that's outside of trauma that's like quote unquote, digestible. And like, it's shocking to the point where those folks just don't feel welcome in those spaces, even though we're here preaching like communal healing.
0: Emotion.
1: How do you handle the haters like (laughs) obviously it's not your responsibility to like educate them or parent them but obviously to some degree like receiving like unpleasant messages can be challenging so how do you process that
3: yeah i mean as you guys know like i have pretty strict boundaries on my page i mean i don't have a comment section like no one can comment Um, or rather I have it set up so that only people who I follow can comment and I don't follow anyone. So no one can comment. And I only accept DMS from people who follow me. Um, and I guess like, and I, I still get, you know, sometimes people send like critical messages or challenging messages or messages where they, you know, disagree or whatever. And like, those are fine. I often don't engage just because I don't really feel like I have the energy to get into, like, debates over DM, Mm
0: -hmm. um, like, I just don't
3: really feel like it's, like, a super conducive, I guess, like, medium for having a kind of meaningful conversation, and it's just not where I want to, you know, put my energy. In terms of receiving, like, hate messages, I, I feel like I receive, like, a lot less than people would expect, um, like I might receive like one sort of like explicitly mean message, maybe like every like three weeks or every two weeks. So it's not like Mm -hmm. I'm dealing with like a flood of like, you know, like angry triggered people. Um, I think in part because of like the boundaries that I do set up on the account. In terms of dealing with it, I think, you know, I just kind of let myself be sad if it makes me feel sad um and also know that like I don't have to like let it ruin my day and I don't have to strongly identify with it and it's okay for that person to be where they are and at the same time like you said like it's not my responsibility and I just try to let it go and that's Mm -hmm. something that Ryan says like I often will like I'll show him messages that I get if it's something that really upsets me or makes me feel some kind of way and he's like just let that go and i'm like okay can it really be that easy <laughs> just like <laughs> exhale that into the environment send it back to the earth not my problem um hmm. yeah so it is it is hard sometimes but you know i think i just maybe i just try not to take it too seriously and i also feel yeah. like i try not to take even the good feedback too seriously like i'm just like great you resonate with it that's amazing at the same time, I never want to start writing for an audience. Um, yeah, I love just writing for myself, and uh yeah, I just try to stay like pretty neutral, I think that feels really healthy for me
2: oh, in one of your more recent um stories, I think you shared that when you first kind of like like you took a pause on the account and then started up again. And you thought that maybe you were going through your flop era because (laughs) you were losing followers when you restarted. Um, And then you, what you shared is you sat with yourself and kind of went, okay, I'm not writing for anyone but myself. And, and I noticed from my perspective, you started to really infuse your personality into Mm -hmm. the page. Whereas before it was like really epic truths but um it was a little I almost want to say sterile don't take that yes in yes well you take that however (laughs) you want but now it's like Hannah like yeah funny it's silly there's emojis Mm. there's flowers like yeah you know it's it's got that um humanity to it and yeah I I love that you've infused your sense of humor, because to me, you're so fucking funny. And that's like such a big part, I feel like, well, you could speak on this, of your boundaries and sort of how you protect yourself and just keep things, I don't know, keep things real by not being so fucking serious, like the silly Mm. and the sacred, like we meet in the middle
1: yes intersection of the silly and sacred Yes. (laughs) yes yes
3: um okay it's so funny that you noticed that because I definitely felt like when I first started the account because the um like the topics were so like triggering and sensitive for people I definitely felt this responsibility to be like so like diplomatic and like very, like, like you said, like, very, like, sterile, and, like, um, mm-hmm. there was a word that I was thinking, oh, stoic, like, to, like, oh, not yeah. be, like, impacted, and, like, I don't know, like, to just, like, approach everything in, like, a certain kind of way, and to, like, really think through everything I said, and I felt this pressure almost to, like, be a role model, I guess, mm-hmm. and, um, I just like don't really wanna be that for anyone, <laughs> like if someone you know i I guess it's like it's it's just a pedestal that I don't feel comfortable like being on, and I felt like sometimes people put me on that pedestal, and then i I guess I felt like I had to like live into it in some kind of way, and over time, like I definitely felt that disconnect where I was like almost nervous to show other parts of myself and to just like be like a multifaceted person and I am a person and like I do want to model the kind of like behavior that I respect and that you know to be the kind of person that I want to be in the world but at the same time it feels really good to I don't know, be a little goofy <laughs> tongue out emoji mm-hmm. <laughs> and um I I wrote about that on my Patreon recently. I'm like, yeah, like sometimes I slam doors. Sometimes I yell. Like one time when I was a teenager, I like hit my mom and I like still feel really embarrassed about it. And like, I don't know, like I'm a a messy Mm -hmm. person and I do struggle a lot in like my own internal world with different things. And I always have since I was a child and know that about me, like know that about me and like be able to receive that about me or don't, um, but, like, just, like, I I just want it to be allowed to exist in that little corner of the internet, like, which is mine, you know, so, yeah, it's so funny that you noticed that, and I definitely felt that, and it started to kind of grate on me after a while, and I consciously was, like, okay, fuck it, like, I'm not, I don't want to be that, you know, because it's not real, and no one is
2: that, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah, right, and then we realized that, It's funny that, you know, a lot of us, I think, have this idea that to be this um, public persona, this role model, that we do have to be perfect. And then as every single situation goes, people fall from their pedestal and expose, like, that they're actually a real person who's made mistakes, and then they, like, fall from grace. And yeah. I'm literally thinking of, like, Lindsay Lohan right now for some reason. <laughs> like, they're like, you know, tabloids, like, these people that we put on this extreme pedestal, and then they fall. And then when they fall, we don't have compassion for them. We think, oh, you weren't special. You were just, like, everybody else. Yeah. It's actually really, really sad. And it's so ridiculous because we, I don't know, yeah, it's just, it's so simple. Like, it's so cliche. We all make mistakes, and we all fuck up. And why not just show each other that from the get-go? And then as you, I think, continue, well, as all of us continue to unravel and be a little more real and share what really feels real, I think we naturally just receive more loving feedback and people being like resounding, yes, I Mm -hmm. feel you, even if it's the simplest act of humanity or like small small thing, we're just like,
1: I just find pedestals in general to be so damaging and dangerous. Like I'm even thinking about just in interpersonal relationships, like not even in relation to celebrity, but literally just even entering into a new relationship, whether it be friendship, platonic, romantic work relationships, like Mm -hmm. any relationships in your life where you meet someone and have this inkling to put them above you or to put yourself above them. But often Mm -hmm. I find it's like we put others on pedestals when we see that they've done something really cool, or maybe they've done something that is a goal of ours or whatever it is. Maybe we find them really attractive. And then the second that person shows any signs of humility and humanity and isn't perfect and isn't polished, it's like shocking and, we almost like get angrier at them for being imperfect because we like need something to believe in almost. That's so interesting. Oh yeah.
3: Yeah. We do need something to believe in and it's not any one individual person, you know, that we should download that too. Go ahead, Taylor.
1: I was just going to say, I saw something today that was like talking about this, like this needing something to believe in. And it was like, You literally have to believe in yourself so much that it's almost delusional. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like you can't, you can't put all your belief into like anything external other than yourself and then you have to like be almost delusional about it in order to like make any action and it's Leo season so like realistically (laughs) we can do anything we want.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh! Yeah, I I feel like I've had so many internal barriers surrounding believing in myself, and it's been like such a process to be like, nope, well, that doesn't have to be true. Like I can do this, you know. Like I can like get a literary agent. I can write a book. I can continue growing my account. I can open up my own practice. Like, yeah, it is really hard to get there though, especially if you haven't really been. I I don't know, like, my parents, it's not that they didn't, like, believe in me, because I think they've always been, like, like, really supportive in a lot of ways, but, like, I didn't come from, like, the kind of family where, like, my parents were, like, you can do whatever you want and, like, follow, like, your dreams and shit. Like, my parents are, like, very pragmatic in a certain way, and, like, I don't know, like, my dad's, like, super blue collar, like, my mom's a nurse, and my dad's, like, a trades guy, and, I think for a long time I had the sort of misconception that like I had to do X, Y, Z to just like survive in the world and follow this like very conventional path. And it's been like so beautiful and liberating to just realize all the ways that that isn't true
2: Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) at all. (laughs) And to find it working for me, you know, in like pretty radical ways is just so crazy. I feel so lucky.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, before we finish, I would like to ask, yeah. um, Hannah, what are you reading right now? If you're reading anything.
3: Mm. So I'm reading a, a f- one piece of fiction called Peach Blossom Spring. Um,
2: what the hell? I'm obsessed with that.
3: <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's about um, kind it of down. like this intergenerational story about a Chinese family in sort of like the mid 1900s up into like the early 2000s. And I just started it, but it's about war and migration and family and grief. Um, And I'm really loving it so far. Like, I feel like it's like the first piece of fiction that I've picked up in a while that I'm like, whoa, like I I love this. And I like look forward to reading it every night. And then Mm. I'm also reading The Coddling of the American Mind, with my book club on my your page. book club yeah yeah Tell so
2: I've us, been like I want you to share with us and our listeners where they can find your patreon where they can find you if you want to share like how people can get to know you a little bit more
3: yeah absolutely so the best place to engage with my work is on the Instagram page which is meeting underscore myself underscore, again and then um in terms of like getting in touch with me you can always send me a dm or an email um and there's like a link in my bio where you can access kind of everything else that you might need from me my patreon applications to work with me
2: things like that gorgeous gorgeous. taylor what are you reading
1: I just finished a fiction called The Price of Salt, which is kind of like a lesbian cult classic. So yeah, I just finished that. It was great. It's like set in the 40s in New York. And it's about like, these two women that are like, in relationships with men, one's like going through a divorce, the other one's like, like 20 and just like dating this man and they just like, Meet and fall in love, and it's the forties, so you can imagine like the complications. Kind of like Thelma and Louise energy, like they take a long road trip across the U.S. together, and like Mm. it's it's cute. It's it was really really good. Um, so yeah, I just finished that, and I'm also reading Entangled Life, which is like a big fat book about fungi, and it's. fascinating i love it so much i've been talking everyone around me's ear off about it because it's amazing um so yeah that's where i'm at Mm. emma glennon doyle
2: glennon doyle (laughs) (laughs) guys i'm obsessed i know i'm a little like late to the game but fuck untamed is so good you know i have this like big move coming up and like i feel like I'm just hanging on to every goddamn word that Glennon says. And, first name basis. Yeah, first name basis. <laughs> um, and yeah, just like, oh, I don't know. I, 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 I want to share this with everyone listening. And I think I've told you two already, but um, reading this book and then witnessing my sister, like my blood sister, going through uh, a big breakup right now um she was engaged and has chosen to leave her partner and move back home to Calgary and then like so witnessing that and sort of tethering in with her now more than ever because we've we've not been super close in our life so this is this feels like a bit of a um just special moment to rekindle that relationship and then reading Untamed I'm just like whoa like Mm -hmm. Yeah, inspiration everywhere and um yeah so anyway that's just kind of a little tidbit of how it's interesting how reading a book sometimes really aligns with what's going on around you and just having some like a, something physical tangible tangible to come to before bed or in the morning whenever and just like bury your face into but still have it reflect your reality kind of wild I don't know I know you guys are like avid book readers and I'm kind of like not so for me I'm just over here being like I get it
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love love always I find like when I look back on a chapter of my life or a period of time I can always remember what book I was reading at that time like if I'm Mm -hmm. like oh I remember like when I was like traveling here or like when I was like working this job or like when this event happened I was like reading that book or vice versa if I think about a book I can always be like this was going on in my life while I was reading that book and they somehow like you said like interrelate and influence one another yeah
0: Yeah.
1: that's so I I love love that that. like the books we're meant to read they come to us when we're meant to read them for that reason Mm -hmm. I'm so so happy you're reading
3: it Emma I'm so happy you're reading it because it really is such a life changing book and she's such a beautiful like sort of like mentor and i'm just so happy she exists
2: it was so lovely
3: it was so lovely to talk
2: with both of you Mm. thank you so much for for giving us some time and just sharing you you (laughs) thank you han we love you so much we love you thank you love you too
1: So that was Hannah in all of her magic. Yes. I loved this episode so much. Mm. When you listen to her, it inspires you to speak your truth. Truths that you maybe didn't even know you had until you hear her say something or read her writing. And you're just like, Oh yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It really is just all about truth. And the power of standing firmly in your truth. Like, and like she said, like even when your truth changes or is fluctuating, like letting that be okay, letting that also be your truth. and
0: Mm. uh. Yeah, she really just shows that the more you, the more you are becoming yourself and sharing yourself, you are just permissioning everyone around you to do the same thing. It's like this, big like full body exhale like oh, okay I can like let my guard down let my take my masks off like oh. really just be yourself and that there's room for it all it's just she's just permissioning I feel like is the word that always comes up mm-hmm.
1: yeah what, is, what was that Luna Dietrich quote it was so ridiculously myself Mm -hmm. that my energy alone can't help but invite others to check in with themselves yeah god like that is
0: so so real so real we all know people like that who were just like damn they're almost intimidating because they're so themselves and they're just such a mirror where you're forced to be like yeah check in with yourself and be like where am I holding back Mm mm-hmm can be super confronting and definitely makes us uncomfortable at times like it's not always this season to be doing this work but uh, I don't know, leo season makes sense
1: <laughs> leo season is the season to be just brutally unapologetically bold and on fire and just so goddamn yourself that it's almost delusional <laughs> i'm obsessed with that Now we're going to pull tarot about it. And I'm pulling this time. Taylor is pulling. Okay. I'm going to pull two because we haven't done that in a while. Oh, hell yeah. Whoa. We've got both wands. Fire. (laughs) Mm. Five of wands and two of wands. Okay. Okay. Five of wands. Competition, diversity, rivalry. The smell of competition is high in the air. Everybody around you seems to have an opinion and no one is willing to listen. A little competition never hurt nobody, but only if people are willing to compromise down the line. If you're seen as a rival, it's only because you have many talents to offer that cannot be ignored. Diversity is good and much needed, whether it is opinions or culture. Differences can allow for greater understanding and compassion on a human level. Being seen and heard is everyone's desire and if you want that for yourself you must be willing to do the same for someone else. There may be an inner conflict playing out where you are pulled by the different parts of yourself. Tune into what you truly want only you know what's best for you. Okay wow. Yeah I mean (laughs) like how many times in that episode did we talk about like just like the right versus wrong when we were talking about like the left perspectives and yeah. if you're seen as a rival it's only because you have many talents to offer that cannot be ignored like you know people like Hannah wanting to like hide her identity at first be- for her safety literally because people were triggered by her truths and yeah diversity is good and much needed whether it is opinions or culture difference can allow for greater understanding and compassion on a human level oh
0: yeah and talking about competition too like the way that we have society sort of set up and been socialized within um there's not really room for people who are so damn compassionate and open and honest I feel like there is a sense of competition in this like old paradigm where if you start to kind of show yourself it pisses people off or it triggers people and you're like causing a ruckus and someone might just say like oh sit down like you're too much Mm. um and then sort of as we're all evolving in this way to really want to expand and just expand ourselves in general um we we realize that there's no competition because there's room for all of us
1: okay and you talking about expansion Mm. makes me want to just read the two of wands and then we can unpack that because it literally says advance explore prospects A new world is calling your name and you are confidently stepping forward, ready to see what's next. There is an enticing path laid before you and you have conceptualized a plan to take action and progress toward your bigger ambitions. However, you're faced with leaving your comfort zone to venture off into unfamiliar territory. The big picture is clear and you know what you are capable of. Bold and fearless as you step into your own personal power, you enable others to do the same. Making the decision to leave the comfort of home is not always easy, but can be necessary for your personal growth. Take the risk and have a backup plan. You will learn so much about yourself and discover the world in so many ways. As J.R.R. Tolkien wrote, not all those who wander are lost. He said that? I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I never knew what like who that quote was from. I always just thought it was kind of like wanderlust, like very... Like white girl traveling energy.
1: <laughs> yeah, it comes from Tolkien Loki. Like, <laughs> but honestly, that like I'm thinking of, yeah. um, I'm thinking of her just yeah like stepping into her role as a therapist and like leaving the comfort zone to venture off into unfamiliar territory. Just like radical trust in herself, talking about. Mm having to believe in yourself and knowing the big picture and knowing what you are capable of and being bold and fearless enough to literally just step in and say, I'm good enough to do this. I'm going to do it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. She, she does literally at one point talk about um, how much trust has been like trust was such a big thing for her. And it was kind of like took her maybe a lot of time to really build that self-trust. And I think naturally it does take a lot of time to build that mm-hmm. um, but yeah damn like really stepping into this new world like I keep coming back to this idea of like yeah new world new paradigm I just love that word right now paradigm.
1: yeah I've noticed I know <laughs> I, love, I love it I but, love when I can tell that you have like a word going. yeah it's so good she uses it yeah um, it in wherever she can but it's,
0: like, literally, that was, was that not, like, the first sentence of two wants like, stepping into a new world or something?
1: A new world is calling your name and you're confidently stepping forward, ready yeah. to see what's next. Yeah. They,
0: like, confidence. Like,
1: oh. Like, fierce confidence. And also such fierce support, like, from your support mm-hmm. system and people around you in order to find that confidence, I find is a big it's a big part of this because both of these wands, and I guess just fire in general, Leo season in general is very about um, the individual and like me, myself and I and my power and I can do it independence. But it's also like so important, I think, to recognize like even in the five of wands, talking about diversity and different opinions, I'm just feeling like this need to acknowledge the community as well like acknowledge the systems behind all of this I mean you and I come back to that all the time like yeah you can figure things out on your own but sometimes you just it even just takes like Hannah was talking about like listening to someone for them to kind of figure it out on their own but they need that ear to pour into in order to or the mirror to reflect back to themselves Mm. Um, just yeah like just to be listened to and to be heard enough that you feel you have something of value to share. Yeah,
0: like we can't do it alone. Even if even if you don't need advice from somebody, you have to share. Mm-hmm. Like the past few days of all this stuff that I've been going through with like my relationship and just figuring out like, what are the next steps? Um, There was a part of me that was like, I kind of just don't even want to like tell anyone or like talk about this. Cause it's like, I don't even understand it, you know, or like just any, anything that comes up that feels like not quite right or something that you can't brag about feels like shameful or, you know, just kind of like unsure, but I know, I know, I know, I know like so much in my body that not talking about it is never the way to go. Like, absolutely. You can have moments where you just need to kind of like process things on your own and you can make that boundary and take that space, but it just doesn't work like that for at least for me. And I feel like for most people, like you've got to just share what's going on because likely someone will be like, Oh, literally same. Like let's share stories and compare and talk about it.
1: There's so much power in stories. And Mm -hmm. I mean, Hannah literally does narrative therapy, like Mm -hmm. a huge part of her practice. And I'm even thinking while you're talking, literally the other day, I was like going through something and I was having almost like this moment of, it was like a lot of fear was coming up for me. And I was having kind of like a, almost like a panicky moment where I was just Mm -hmm. having a lot of different fears come through my body and just like texting it all to you. Mm -hmm. just felt like the release that I needed in order to move past it I didn't even need to say it out loud I just had to get it out of me in some way to just be heard
0: just be received right exactly I just just received by someone yeah sharing that's literally what therapy is yeah and that's literally what also Hannah is doing by sharing with her community whoever is following her and the cyber world of instagram like that's all we're ever fucking doing i swear to god she's just
1: sharing <laughs> yeah we just need to share just just receive me <laughs> <laughs> it's like realizing that like it's actually only ever depleting the possibility of expansion if we choose to not share Like, it Mm. never is a progression. It's never more valuable. It's never, like, I don't know. I'm just thinking literally, like, there's no reason not to share a truth. Like, maybe if you think something mean about someone, don't share it. But then, is that your truth that you think this mean thing? Or is that, like, a judgment of yourself? Like, Hannah was saying that, like, it's actually something within you that is the truth and has nothing to do with that person. I'm just thinking like, if we come back to the actual core of like truth and our truths, then there's no reason not to share ever.
0: Yeah. Truth is always an act of kindness, no matter Mm. how uncomfortable it makes people. I think this is Elizabeth Gilbert who said this. Of
1: course it is
0: yeah truth is always an act of kindness no matter how uncomfortable it makes people and not telling the truth or lying is always an act of unkindness no matter how comfortable it makes people
1: right because also too in feeling like you can't share because you are worried about that person's capacity to like receive that truth, you're actually undermining their ability to like show up and to receive that truth. Like you're actually doing them a disservice. And not only that, but you're doubting that person's ability to show up in your truth with you. Mm. Like we're, yeah, we're just assuming that they like can't handle us or they don't have the tools to process it. Or all of these things that actually makes them like lesser in your mind. Whereas if you just recognize and validate that person and give them your truth, it's almost like, yeah, it's an act of love.
0: Amen, sis. Go off. Going off.
1: Truth. <laughs> oh, God. Tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, truth at all costs yeah man cringe yeah. is truth cringe is truth. <laughs> all right y'all if you okay. guys say about Deep truth, press. yeah and let us know how this episode sat with you yeah share your truths share them with us share them with your people share them with yourself yeah let them be received and we're bloomin' away, away. Day, day by day! day. day. <laughs>